Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 351st episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. This Urban Farm Podcast is brought to you by Seed Bank Box, a monthly seed subscription for the urban farmer. Seed Bank Box is one great big seed surprise. Each month you get a shipment with 8 to 10 varieties of seeds, along with a description and planting instructions. Hit the Seed Bank Lottery. Get more information at urbanfarm.org forward slash seed bank box. Today on our podcast, we're talking to urban farmer Lisa Ziegler about mixing florals with edibles. Lisa is a cut flower farmer, author, and speaker on organic cut flower farming. She has been farming since 1998 in southeastern Virginia on the Ziegler family homestead. In season, her three-acre urban farm produces thousands of stems of flowers and an abundance of vegetables which she sells to florists, supermarkets, at farmers markets, and for her members-only farm market. In recent years, she has started leading hands-on trainings on the farm for flower farmers and everyday flower junkies. Lisa is the author of four books, including Vegetables Love Flowers, The Companion Planting Guide for Beauty and Bounty by our friends at Quarto Publishing. Welcome to the show today, Lisa. Are you ready to rock the flower garden? Hey, let's do it. Sweet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. My pleasure to be here with you today. And my story starts like a lot of people that have found themselves in farming. I just happened to marry the right guy that kind of came with this great piece of land and a little bit nice. of equipment. You know, yeah, I'm telling you. And, you know, the rumor around here is that I married him for his gardening dowry. That's oh. really not true. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's just kind of the bonus. But anyway, so he came with this family land where they had gardened and, you know, a couple of tillers and just kind of had everything that I needed to pursue this 
dream that I didn't even know I had yet. Because uh-huh. what happened after I met him is I read a book, the book called The Flower Farmer by Lynn Bozinski. Yes. I knew that I had found my dream and I was then in a position to quit my daytime job, which I loved. I was the business manager of a really busy animal hospital for 20 years. Wow. So I quit my job and did what that book told me, literally and just went at it. So what I have is a small urban farm in the middle of the city. My place is three acres, but in production is only an acre and a half, and that's really more than what one person can take care of, so I do have some help. And because I'm in the middle of the city, I have no greenhouses. City ordinance keeps me from having any hoop houses or greenhouses, so everything I do is out in an open garden, Uh or I do all my seed starting inside in a grow room with grow lights and racks. And I really attribute being able to pursue Sue flower farming under those circumstances to I use the method of seed starting called soil blocking. And it's an English method that uh-huh. Elliot Coleman introduced, and it's just really space savvy. So I was able to start a lot of seeds in a really small space and went to my first commercial flower shop and started selling 20 years ago. And he embraced me and really helped me along. And as they say, the rest is history. I mean, I just went at flower farming because he helped me to be successful from the very beginning and it really encouraged me to move along. So here I am today still flower farming and teaching and which is really my greatest gift of all this. Yeah. I think and the book Vegetables Love Flowers is really my story and how the whole farming thing unfolded for me and how I pursued organic gardening after I was a chemical gardener Uh or product gardener maybe. That's kind of where, you know, I'm at today. Loving life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, how can you not love life when you're gardening every day or farming every day? (laughs) You said several things that I want to kind of tease apart a little bit. 20 years ago, you've been doing this for 20 years? I have. This year is my 20th year anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. And You know, I tried to quit (laughs) once or twice. You know, those Julys that are 100 degrees and there's more of them than there are of you. And I think this is it. I'm not doing it anymore. I just love farming and gardening and I couldn't give it up is the bottom line. Came back. Oh yeah, yeah. I planted my first garden in 1975 here in Phoenix, Arizona and quit in the mid 80s and went into technology. But by the mid 90s, I was back gardening. You can't stop. You can't and it just enriches your life so much. Stress relief. Mm-hmm. You know what I love? I love that if a bug annoys you, whoosh it. I mean, how rewarding is that? <laughs> no kidding. Can't do that at the office. I'm a big educator as well. That's why I do the podcasts and my online courses. In fact, we're going to talk about an online virtual class that you give here in a little while. And a big part of that is mentors. And it sounds to me like you had a really cool mentor that helped get you started. Tell me about them. There's been many of them, actually. So the book that I read, Lynn Bozinski, who was very reachable, and I became a part of the Cut Flower Association early on. And I mean, my goodness, I have never been a part of a more encouraging Mm. share their secret sauce with you. Nice. And that first commercial customer that I went to, I mean, he wanted me to be successful because guess what? He wanted my flowers and he knew that I needed encouragement. I mean, he just really made it possible for me to not only price my product and how 
how to package it, but other shops that would want to buy my flowers so that I could make my business viable. And I actually dedicated the very first little book that I wrote, a guide, I dedicated to him. And I've mentioned him and others because Eddie was instrumental. You know how it is. If you start something new and you fail, sometimes you just say, well, forget that. Right. He helped me and that just kept me going at it full speed. Nice. And you also mentioned something called soil blocking. Tell me a little bit more about that. Oh my goodness. Soil blocking, the most awesome way to start seed. So, you know, I read Elliot Coleman's book way back in the beginning uh-huh. and he talked about it. And I had at that point been a miserable seed starter. I mean, I had bought every kit and tried everything, and it held me back from being a flower farmer. I would have started in 1996 had I been able to start seeds more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Read the book. He gave basically the blow-by-blow how to do it. I did what he said, and I was an overnight success. And then in addition to being a great way to start seeds and grow really healthy transplants, it's incredibly space-savvy, which for someone like me that is starting indoors and Mm -hmm. supporting them, indoors until they can go out to the garden. It was huge. So really seed starting is one of the biggest things that I educate on. We have great how-to videos on our website, seed starting series that shares that. And it's just, it produces a transplant that doesn't suffer transplant shock. They grow a little quicker because they're not in containers. You're not using all that black plastic stuff. It's amazing. It's really, really a great way to start seeds. Awesome. And then, and then one more thing you said, you said something or mentioned something about having too much land. You have an acre and a half in production right now. Tell me about that. I do. So I have a three acre property and on that my home is here and as well as a big work building. We have an acre and a half in production. And there was a time where I was able to lease land right against my property, another acre. And I will tell you that we lost our efficiency mm-hmm. because of so much more land. And in fact, we grossed less on more land because you really have to ramp up a lot equipment labor just Uh everything you do and you don't think about that when you plant more than you think Right. You should. And I think we all do that. Even the home gardener does it way over plants. And mm-hmm. we are, I'm a really big believer in succession planting. Oh, yes. And so basically on our farm on that acre and a half, a little less than a third of it is planted in a season. And then the next season is being planted in the next third while we're harvesting from the previous season. And so you're never just got more than you can harvest. Got Mm -hmm. more than you can handle, whether you're producing food to eat or preserve or you're selling it. So that really, really taught me a lesson that an acre and a half is more than any sane person should have. (laughs) Yeah. And it works really, really well. It's very doable and manageable and much less than that even. Yeah. Perfect. I'm 57 years old and I went back to college late in life. In 1999, I was back at Arizona State University getting my bachelor's and then a master's degree. And while I was doing that, I was actually growing food in my front and backyard and taking it to a local farmer's market and two chefs. And I was making, you know, two, 300 bucks a week doing it. So this is a perfect size. I have a third of an acre up to an acre and a half. This is a perfect size for a stay-at-home mom or dad, don't you think? Exactly. It's a perfect fit. And I tell you, I do workshops for flower farmers or budding. Many of them are newbies coming in. And a lot of them have been under the impression that you just have to have five acres or some expansive piece of land. But in fact, a half an acre in my opinion, Mm -hmm. is a perfect size because that allows you to incorporate some cover cropping in there and still have plenty of room to grow. And you can generate great income. And the word is, is that flower farming can be more productive 
expensive per square foot in dollar bills than vegetables. Yes, it can. Yes, and so it's very, very viable. It's a perfect stay-at-home mom, or you're just looking to, you know, add a little extra income to the family, you know, coffers each year. And it doesn't have to be a life career. It can be a great sideline. Sideline that gets you out in the garden, gets your hands dirty, and reduces stress. Exactly. Gotta love it. Yes. So I have on my desk here in front of me your book, Vegetables Love Flowers. It is a beautiful book. It's stunning. Tell me about how it came about. Sure. I do lots of lecturing. I do a lot of talks for Mother Earth News fairs, which appear all over the country. And at one of those fairs, I met an author, and she was an author for Cool Springs Press, which is under Quattro. And she actually introduced me to her editor, and she actually told her editor about me and he called and we just started he said so tell me what your talks are about we started talking about it and I was telling him about this talk that had become really popular about restoring pollinators and beneficial insects to your garden Uh uh-huh we talked about what that was, and it's basically that people just have kind of fallen out of fashion of really having flowers in the vegetable garden. Yeah. So he and I, I mean, just kicked that around for a couple of weeks, and it just took off. I mean, it got approved and started working on it right away, and we hired an amazing photographer, Bob Scammerhorn, out of Richmond, Virginia, who is an award-winning wildlife photographer. Uh-huh. And I knew he'd be a perfect fit because we needed bird pictures and insect yep. pictures. And he did an over-the-top job. So I went to work. I wrote the manuscript last winter in 2017, actually the late winter. And then last summer, we spent the entire summer taking all the photography because all but about two photos in that book are from my farm. Oh, wow. It's so funny. Every time you write a book, you think the step you're in that you're working on then, like the manuscript, oh my gosh, this has got to be the hardest part. Yep. Boy, it's going to be so much easier to do the photography. Wrong. You have to grow all the stuff for the photography. Oh, right. Of course. And then you have to stage the pictures. You know, I had to constantly read and reread the manuscript. It's like, okay, where can we get a picture that'll go with that on the farm? But it is so worth it. I mean, so proud and so pleased with the outcome of the book. And it's just been a pleasure, really. Yeah. You know, I'm thumbing through it here. You're right. The photography is absolutely stunning. The beginning of section three has a little, is that a finch on some... Rebecca? Yep. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. And then, of course, my favorite dog, and apparently everybody's favorite dog these days are goldens. And you on section four, you have a beautiful golden with flowers on her hair. Well, that is one of the newest rages in the flower world are flower crowns. Oh, Brides right. wear them, little girls wear them. I mean, they've become a real rage. So we made a flower crown for Barry, and she is sitting in the midst of a field of buckwheat, which is a beautiful white cover crop. Oh, yes. And it's open in the chapter of my book of growing a healthy garden. And it's just a demonstration that on my farm, I want toddlers, kids, dogs, wildlife, and people to be able to sit, roll, and eat anywhere and never have to be concerned about pesticide exposure because there are no pesticides on our farms. Because that was my previous profession, dogs are very important to me and were very obvious in my life. They were the 
beginning of why are we putting chemicals in our gardens when my dogs are out there picking beans and eating, and they were a big part of beginning that journey for me. Yeah, and you have to remember, speaking to all of you out there, when you're putting chemicals down in your house and in your garden, if your kids are out there playing in it, your dogs and cats or chickens, they're all playing in it or working in it, they're picking that up. That is one of my big reasons for not using any chemicals here at the Urban Farm for 29 years. It's so true, and we just don't think about it. I can remember the day it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I think one of the dogs started licking their foot for something, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Yep. They just walked through where it was just treated with an herbicide or something, and that was many years ago. Uh-huh. Then if you start looking into that area, then you really realize why you've really got to stop. <laughs> yeah. You know, so once you get educated. Yeah, exactly. So I suspect in your book, Vegetables Love Flowers, you talk about seed blocking, right? And how to do it? I do. And also how to plant seeds straight out in the garden. Mm. There's seeds that prefer both ways. So just, you know what? I feel like Vegetables Love Flowers is like a big picture book. It is. A big picture of, you know, why you should grow flowers, then what flowers to grow, and then how to tend it as a cutting garden, which keeps the flowers coming and fresh constantly, and then how to garden organically and not use any pesticides, including organic pesticides, which do harm pollinators and beneficial insects. Yeah. This is not a deep, deep dive in any one area, but I give you what you need to get out there and get started and to spark your interest in a certain area. The book book that I'm going to recommend later on is a bug book by one of your previous guests. And that's where you go for in-depth information. This book is about why you need to learn more about that. Looking through your book, I can see that if somebody had this flash of inspiration and wanted to become a flower farmer, they could get your book. And this tells us everything we need to know to get going. It's true. Whether you're a home gardener that want to have a small garden or a flower farmer, you just plant it bigger and follow all the same steps. You've done something that's really cool. You do a virtual online workshop. Tell me about that. Right. So we call it a virtual online book study. And it's kind of like what people go to book clubs, but it's online. Uh And it's going through the book chapter by chapter. I do a video. I kind of share my insights from that chapter about what's behind why I suggest in there or maybe the connecting the dots a little bit clearer for people. Mm -hmm. And it's free. They can just go to our website and sign up and we'll drop an email right into your box once a week with the video and then you have opportunity to post comments and ask questions. I've done it on my previous book, Cool Flowers, and that's still online that people can view and people really, really enjoyed it. Great interaction and really getting the discussion started. Perfect. And your website is? TheGardenersWorkshop.com. Perfect. And by the way, I just flipped over to your website. It too is a stunning website. You have done a great job of really representing flowers in the world and, you know, how to kind of get engaged with them. Thank you. So there's a picture on here. It's scrolling through and it's a picture of you and you've got these. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Big green balls. Big green (laughs) balls. What are these? These are amazing. You can see this picture at thegardenersworkshop.com and you're in a red shirt and what are they? That is a Gumpacarpus physicarpus, but in the floor, it's not really truly a butterfly weed, but it is kind of, it's actually a tropical. And in the floral trade, that is called hairy balls. Uh And those big green balls are the seed pods. Oh, yes. And it is 
one of the number one cuts that we sell in the fall. That's when he makes those big balls. And it's an amazing cut flower. And the bees particularly are drawn to those in late in the summer. And so are monarchs. However, just like with any tropical butterfly weed, you need to cut those plants down in early fall. For us here in the mid-Atlantic, it would be October because you want the monarchs to move on. You don't want them to stay in your garden until frost takes them. Right. You can grow those, but you have to keep in mind how to treat them. And we cut them all for cuts. Right. So it's not a problem for us, but it's a cool flower to grow in your garden. Yeah. People love it. It looks bamboo-ish. It's a really dense stem and it's about a six-foot plant with branches and it gets a little insignificant flower and then those seed pods are what follow the flowers. Yeah. Our floral customers, florists and our retail customers in May are saying, when did a hairy ball start? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're just, they're a talking point. Yeah. People love having them in their bouquets. Yeah. So, Given that it looks bamboo-like, is this from seed or does this come back year after year from root? We do start it from seed. It is not invasive here for us. I mean, we'll find the, and we grow a lot of them, we'll find an occasional reseeded one. Mm -hmm. But that is something to be cautious about. If you leave the pods in the garden and they burst, seeds are going everywhere. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You've got to keep that in mind. It's called hairy balls. If I wanted to grow them, what would I be looking for? You don't want to Google that word. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. They can go to our website and get the botanical name of Gumpacarpus Physocarpus. That's the best way to look for it. Awesome. If I walked up the driveway of your farm and looked around, what would I see? So if you walked up the driveway and walked kind of, my my little bungalow home would be on the right. Mm -hmm. And there's a neighboring home right immediately on the other side of my home. And you would kind of walk into my property and behind my house is a quarter acre lot, a quarter acre garden, and there's a home directly behind me. Then if you turn to your left, Mm -hmm. you'd be looking at my work building and there is another quarter acre garden in front of that. And when you walk past my work building, there you would see our big one acre garden. And all around that garden, we've planted a native border to help block the coming subdivision that's being developed on the other side of that border. But I have homes across the street from me. And I mean, I'm literally will be flanked on four sides by houses and friends and neighbors. Yeah. Literally, you are in an urban area. Oh, yeah. Wow. I tell people we try to make the best out of it. That means that we feel like on our little property, we're in the middle of the country, but TJ Maxx is only like three minutes away. Wow. So this has been a process because this is a family property. Yes. And every other property around you has turned into homes. How have you interacted as the homes have grown and you've stayed your farm? That has to be challenging, maybe? Yeah, it actually was pretty painful. So where the homes are being currently built was actually a 40-acre. It used to be a dairy farm 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. When it retired, it became a horse boarding farm, which paid the city real estate taxes on the farm. And when that was sold to a developer about three years, ago, we knew it was going to happen. And the process of them doing it started six months ago. And I will tell you, it has been perhaps one of the most painful things I've watched because that farm was full of the most beautiful pastures and hedgerows of flora, home to tens of thousands of wildlife. And right now, if I were to walk over to the window and look out, I'm upstairs in my office of my work building. All you see is dirt everywhere. Yeah. There's nothing sadder than seeing a little red fox sitting on top of a dirt pile. 
So it's been really painful, but we, four years ago, started planting a native border of shrubs and trees flanking 800 feet of the perimeter of our farm Uh for this. Bought the biggest plants I could afford, had a native landscape designer lay it out for us. And so, you know, four or five years from now, we'll be really blocked from what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. But it's been tough. You know what we hear all day? Beep, beep, Oh, yes. Beep. Yep. The backup yep. of big cats. You hear them snapping trees. It's really traumatic. Oh, yeah. So sorry about that. Thank you. I'm trying to make the best of everything. I just don't even see beyond my fence anymore. Yeah. So... Looking into the future, what happens to your three acres? Well, my three acres, because this was my husband's grandparents' homestead, mm-hmm. we're deeply entrenched here. And so I don't see us leaving this home. And we're, you know, just approaching the retirement age. I would expect that it'll probably say it stay in our family yeah. and be passed along. And everybody in our family is pretty garden. You know, I married the vegetables, love flowers, tells. I married into a really big gardening family. Oh, nice. So I see the future of this farm as bright. You know, we'll do our best to carry it into the next generation, you know, without five houses built on it. (laughs) Just one. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Sure. I've mentioned just a little bit earlier about it is I went too big those years when I farmed on that acre and a half in addition to my acre and a half. Uh-huh. Several, many years ago, not only did we become less efficient, it was a morale killer for my people that helped me, mm-hmm. as well as I burned out. You know, I was ready to say like, you know what, maybe this farming thing's not for me after all. But then, thank goodness, winter came, <laughs> which is what restores a farmer. Oh, yes. And I realized, you know what? forget that acre and a half. What was I thinking? You know, my little acre and a half of garden is far more than I needed. So I just had to take a step back, repunt, rethink, and it all worked out beautifully. You know, we went right back to our success story of never having enough flowers for our customers, which is a wonderful problem to have. Yes. But we weren't killing ourselves with the never-ending list of to-dos that we just didn't have time to do. Yeah, you always want to leave your customers wanting more. Exactly. Yeah, well, then they're coming back, and yay. And that eliminates marketing problems, you know what I mean? Because you don't really have to market. (laughs) Right, it becomes somewhat of a self-marketing thing. I tell people all the time, when you're growing food, when you're farming, it's only half a job to grow this stuff. The other half is getting it picked, packaged, marketed. It's a huge piece of the pie, is it not? For sure. And that is grossly underestimated. We're doing boot camp farmer workshops on my farm this year. Uh And that's one of the best things I'm looking forward to is them coming here and seeing the volume of flowers that have to be cut today because guess what? They have to be cut again three days later Yeah, and sold both times. And it really opens your eyes that you shouldn't plant so much. You know what I mean? You don't need to plant so much, whether it's tomatoes or flowers because they're productive. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? Well, I really think figuring out that nature is already doing a lot of the things that we're trying to do for ourselves in our garden. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really the story of Vegetables Love Flowers, and it's about how when I went pesticide-free, not because it was the right thing to do for the world, but because I didn't want to poison my dogs, uh-huh. then all of a sudden I realized that all of these wonderful things were attracted to my garden, beneficial insects, tons of pollinators, and when you go pesticide-free, follow some common sense practices, and just let nature go. Go at it and you have to relax 
and step back and give it a little time, which most people have a problem with. They want instant gratification. I've considered the biggest boon of my career is figuring out, you know what? I don't have to worry about that. If I just set up the garden in the right way, nature's going to come and they're not going to make everything peachy king, but they're going to control things in a manageable way that I can live with. Yeah. Beautiful. So what drives you? I just love the whole experience of going from seed to harvest. I guess the my most wonderful time in the garden is about three weeks after we have made the first planting of summer stuff. And there's probably 15, 20,000 seedlings planted. Uh-huh. And they're all about 10 or 12 inches tall. I do a lot of garden gazing. And I stand there and think, I just can't believe all we started all those from seed. It's just amazing. And then when they grow on to bloom or to bear tomatoes or to grow squash or whatever we're growing, I just think, good grief from a seed. <laughs> and that just really, really drives me. And then I'm driven to share that with folks. I'm a pretty ambitious person. You can look at my website and kind of, I mean, only crazy people do this much. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's because we're passionate about it. We love it. Yeah. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? One of your previous guests, Jessica Walsters. Oh, my gosh. Her book, Good Bug, Bad Bug. Mm -hmm. I recommend that book almost in every lecture I give. I tell them, I don't sell it. I say, go to your favorite bookseller and get it. Every home, whether you're gardening or not, should have that book. Because I'll tell you, a sad state of affairs, one of the slides that I show in my program is a juvenile ladybug. Right. I am sad to report that when I'm talking to flower farmers, experienced master gardeners, garden club people that have been gardening all their life, most of them, when I show that slide. They don't know what it is. That's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. And I expect that most of them get squashed as babies. Yeah. Anyway, so Jessica's book has a great picture. You can take it out to the garden. It tells you what's good, what's bad. And if it's bad, do you need to even do anything about it? And if you do, how to do it organically. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll go down in history loving that book. It's just simple and easy because, you know, a lot of bug books are like two inches thick. Who reads them? Nobody. Right. But this is a great, very approachable book. Yeah. Good bug, bad bug. Yes. Perfect. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Flower farming is really experiencing a renaissance right now of coming back to this country. People don't realize that most of the flowers sold in the United States. 80% of them are imported from South America. Wow. Didn't used to be that way. Used to be opposite. 80% used to be grown in this country. And the wave has just begun. Our professional trade association has tripled in size in the last six years, mostly young folks. And I just want anyone that everybody thinks it's a dream job. Well, it's a dream job that you can embrace because I hope after hearing what we've talked about today, they realize you don't have to have a five acre farm Mm -hmm. to do this. You can do it on a quarter acre. You can do it on a half an acre or you can do it on any size because there's an industry in this country, seven to nine billion dollar industry, by the way, Uh of people that consume flowers every day in their businesses, florists amongst other people. And there's a real opportunity to know that you can grow on a small space. You can be profitable. And I'm living proof of that. My small urban farm, it's a real possibility. I'm doing it. And we just love sharing that with people to empower them to make this a part of their story too. Yeah. Well, one of the big things that would sell for me when I was running to the farmer's markets when I was in college was cut flowers. It was amazing. You know, and I didn't grow a lot of them, but they would always sell out. Sure. 
know, I mean, flowers, they're more than just a pretty face. Yeah. I mean, there's a huge industry. I mean, I'm a numbers girl. It's a huge industry. Our primary customers have been florists. I want to sell to people that use flowers every day of their life. Yep. Because people buy flowers, you know, and I tell people, saddened to say, people die every day and flowers are a big part of that closure Yeah. for that. It's a really great, I love the life that I'm living and it's really doable. I'm in a non-farming community in the middle of a city with leaf blowers going on in the background and, you know, school buses wrapped battling by and it's doable anybody can do it you just got to put your mind to it yeah well thank you so much for joining us on the show today lisa my pleasure so how can our listeners get a hold of you sure they can go to our website thegardenersworkshop.com we have all kinds of fun stuff there and we have a lot of opportunity to watch videos and tons of blogs and sign up for the book study i hope that i'll be engaging you there Perfect. So you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash the gardener's workshop. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast at iTunes on Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. As listeners to our podcast, you know that I love experimenting. And as urban farmers and gardeners, I can predict that you probably have done your fair share of experiments with new seed varieties. But if you are as busy as I am, sometimes just finding new seeds is a challenge. Well, what if someone else did the work for you? I'd like to introduce you to Seed Bank Box, an excellent source of non-GMO and heirloom seeds delivered right to your door. Each month, you will receive 8 to 10 surprise seed varieties with information for each seed on a card you'll keep. It's time to start experimenting again. Let Seed Bank Box help you plant the garden of your dreams. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash seedbankbox for more information and to sign up. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. 
to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.